Hello and welcome to Fintech Bytes, a podcast series from CMS, in which we will discuss and provide insight into some of the latest technology and regulatory developments, market trends and issues affecting fintech and innovation in financial services. Welcome to this episode of Fintech Bytes. I'm Amuksha Singh, Corporate Associate at CMS. In today's episode, we are talking to Felicia Merowitz Singh, co-founder and CEO of Econi, about open finance, how fintech is challenging the future of finance for consumers and the impact of COVID-19 on investments in this space. Thank you for joining us today, Felicia. Great to be here. So you're the co-founder and CEO of Econi. Tell us what Econi is. So Econi is a digital cash platform that generates better returns with one point of access to multiple banks. Um, We work, we are FCA regulated, we work with a number of different banking partners like Barclays, Investec, Aldemore, Abuthnot, amongst others. And we specialize in the wealth sector, working with financial advisors and investment platforms to increase returns for their clients. One of the key trends we have seen in the financial services over the last year is digitization. What are the trends you are seeing in financial services at the moment? So from our perspective, obviously, we're seeing open banking, which we've all known about for so long and has surpassed a a couple of million uh, individuals and businesses. Something like 50 percent of all small businesses are using some form of open banking. And we're transitioning into that beyond open banking towards open finance. So that really means using other sorts of data, which we see um, other types of either investment data, insurance data, or even other types of open uh, API-based data that give clients the ability to manage their money. Um, And for us, that's really going to be transformational in terms of how the market changes and the benefits to clients. Really, we're almost... We don't have to worry about the money because stressing about money is a huge part of everyone's life. So being able to use the power of open finance is very transformational, whether it's in our space, which is all around savings, or whether it's in other spaces around payments and lending and so on. Um, And very important to us because we are a client-centric platform. So we look at what our clients need, our advisors need, our investment platform clients need. And having one view, bringing together all of an individual's assets is is part of the future with that one point of data consent. And that really the benefits of fully embedded financial services. It's a utopia in a way. Do you think the average consumer understands what open banking is? It's very interesting because I I get asked this a lot on different panels and so on. And it's almost like open banking works very well when the consumer doesn't even know they are using it. Like, you know, when we turn on our tap or boil our kettle, we're not thinking about the plumbing or the electrics behind it. And open banking is one of those catalysts that enable us to make our lives easier in a similar way, and eventually will become commoditized as a form of data. And it's obviously fundamental that that infrastructure must be safe and secure. 
and that's why you have the FCA involved in uh, open banking and overseeing any new entities who are coming on boarding with AIS and PIS permissions. Uh, clients must feel safe and secure. Uh, however, I think that it's really about the benefits to them rather than the underlying plumbing. That's great, Felicia. I mean, that that really explains open banking for the common man. But I mean, looking to the future of open banking as it expands to open finance, what does this mean for consumers? Or I mean, where do you see this developing further? Yeah, so for, from our perspective, there is going to be quite a rapid shift in terms of open finance. One part of it is obviously seeing all of your assets, like I mentioned. It shouldn't just be uh, your investment assets on one platform and your cash on another. And having access to curated um providers like we have at Oconee. No one wants a full market of 300 banks because the decision making is just too great. So for us, we really have, um, we, we see a, a combination of open data, like we partner with Fitch relating to financial implied ratings, which now rate more than 22,000 banks globally, banks and other deposit takers like building societies, and which 20,000 were never rated. So they have got a new tool for that, and that is enabled all through data. So from our perspective, we see more mass adoption, um, further automation, and also increased use of the different permissions, which are currently account um, AIS and PIS account initiation and payment initiation. Um, and we think more adoption across savings. So instead of being told by your personal finance app, don't buy that fifth beer, rather save your money, it will also be save your money and put it into this fund or even a um, coherent and holistic view on the retail side. You know, when you go to Tesco's, it will be, okay, well, actually shift your products to this, you'll save 20%, and we can put that into a savings basket for you, which offers a return. Wow, that's excellent. I think yeah. I think you've also already answered the other question I had in mind because I, I wanted to know what the end goal for open finance would be, but I think that that's quite clear. That yeah. is basically adoption across masses and further automation. Exactly. And and where you don't even see it. You really, we remove that whole siloed nature of financial services because that silo, you know, whether you're an investment platform or an insurance company or a bank, has been imposed by the regulator, obviously to protect underlying consumers with capital provisions and conduct. However, clients don't see their lives in silos. I see my life as, you know, one big opportunity and risk, and I want to have the products that protect that. It doesn't bother me where those products come from, a bank, an insurance company, and open finance will provide all of that. Also to the underserved, I think that's something that we often miss because everyone always thinks as though open banking, you know, provides solutions to those with money. But in fact, I think more generally, we're going to see even changes on prompting people at the lower, lower end of the market as well. Yeah, that that's I, I agree with you. I mean, I think the key point I take away is it's it's the it's the excellent plumbing in the background that that people will slowly figure out and understand why it's for for their own advantage. Yeah. But um, but the other thing I wanted to check 
is, you know, like during the COVID environment, we have seen household saving rates triple. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you see this as a permanent market change? Yeah, I think there've been a lot of surveys, including the new FCA Financial Life Survey, which came out over the past month, which showed that you have a large majority of people who want to maintain their savings behavior. Obviously, many will go out there and spend, which is a good thing for our economy. But we think that this will only increase and more and more people will look at more you know, conservative behaviors around savings. And so that obviously stands a platform like us in good stead. And we think also provides a, a fantastic opportunity for all the investment platforms who provide solutions to broaden their savings offering as well as, you know, simple things like personal finance apps, broadening their personal savings options where, you know, you can just have a full API integration for your client. Your client feels they're in one ecosystem, they're not filling out another set of 10 forms to go somewhere else, and they get a curated set of products. Yeah, but then how do you think fintechs or wealth techs democratize savings? Um, I mean, to ensure the benefit of this trend across all members of society. Yeah, um, I think it's very important. For instance, even in something like an ISA, a cash ISA, which obviously many people um, have got, or a basic savings fund, that at every aspect you should know where you can easily get an increased return. And offering that via a personal finance app, which is telling you, you know, helping you to save money, not spend so much on your groceries or whatever the case may be, and then offering that then further expands that. That's one aspect. The second is through workplace pensions, which includes auto-enrollment. You know, just over the past few years, we've seen 9 million new savers come into the retirement market. They were totally left out of the market previously and are now part of the UK's pensions regime. They also should be offered a cash saving. So it's, and it's, the right platforms is to broaden that saving solution because the big four banks are only interested in offering their own products. So they're not going to, you know, suggest you go elsewhere. <laughs> um, but if you look at an investment platform or a wealth provider like a Nest or any of those um, pensions platforms, they are interested in ensuring you have broader saving solution. And that then changes anyone's lives. And customers seeing that value is really where we think that's all going to change. Well, that's excellent. Um, I, I agree. I think I think automation in this respect is um, is, is the need of, need of the hour. And the future certainly looks promising um, with API integration yeah. coming in a big way. Econi was one of the early members of CMS Equip, and you have since graduated from the program. What did you get out of being an Equip member? Oh, we loved it. I mean, I still love it. I mean, I'm, I'm in a, a sort of a tangential, an invited kind of occasionally equipped member. Um, so for us, there's a couple of things. We are a heavily regulated firm. So for us, it's far beyond just a commercial shareholding agreement and working together with CMS. Um, we look in, in a lot of detail at the regulatory and legal structure around very innovative cash solutions because we straddle 
three regulatory environments, sometimes four. We are regulated under the payment services regulation, the PSRs. Our banks obviously have got conduct obligations under BICOBs. Our investment firms and our advisors are subject to ICOBs and a whole range of CAS regulations. And then some of our other firms have got their own, you know, client money jurisdictional kind of issues. So being able to have a firm which really can cover off all of those components um, of the regulatory side and understanding the key aspect of innovation. So cash innovation, offering something new in a very traditional sector, you know, banking and investment management, and being able to assure our partners around things like funds which are held um, under pensions. Yes, the cash component can be used. How can it be? Funds which are held under cash rules, funds which are held in general investment accounts under cash rules, under ISA rules. Um, so for me, it's that highly complex nature of working with legal and regulatory. And you're going to laugh, but I actually saw a, a tweet. Someone wrote, in fintech, everyone has underestimated the powerhouse that legal provide in the change. And it is something which I, I think that people often forget. We always focus on the tech R&D, but in our space, we are as heavy duty on the legal and regulatory R&D, and it's as critical to our solution. So, and that's what we get from CMS, <laughs> the powerhouse. Yeah, thank you. That sounds amazing, Felicia. We're, we're very pleased that you liked working with Equip. Um, I think also to date, you've naturally seen the regulatory landscape change working with Equip because, because Econi is so heavily regulated. Mm. And there's been a lot of change in the finance and fintech sectors during, I mean, the span of your career. But if you had to sort of predict, what changes do you think are coming next in the fintech finance space in the next 12 months, if you sort of had a bucket list? Yeah, um, so for me, it is that fundamental one view of fully embedded financial services. I mean, we are cash as a, as a service, so we are one component of that, but offering that full consolidated and embedded view where you don't have to keep going to multiple checkout points or multiple points of data consent. Um, it's very simple for you as a consumer to be able to manage your financial life and it's happening behind the scenes. I think um, it tied in with that really is the whole collaboration between fintechs, between fintechs and banks and investment wealth platforms, and that the value compounds when we launch new infrastructure. So that spur of innovation results in more rapid change. And that is only going to benefit us as consumers and as businesses. Yeah, quite, quite, Felicia. I think I think that's a that's a really good point. Um, and, and hopefully that, that will happen in, in the next 12 months, uh, fingers crossed. Um, but more personally to Econi, I, I know you touched on what happens in the, in the next five years, but I mean, where do you see Econi Hub in, in 10 years? <laughs> yeah, in 10 years, I would imagine that we would be part of one of the, either one of the very large scale private banks or global banks or investment platforms or the software providers to that sector, because it's unquestionable that clients are going to have a broader access to savings products. And for that, ultimately, we would be fully integrated. So I can't see us 
still being, you know, the, a startup um, operating separately. I think it will be fully embedded in a part of a much larger scale, what we call, you know, the jumbo software providers to the banks and the investment platforms. That's where we're heading. Well, I'm touching on wood on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, me too. I'm really hoping that will happen. Yeah. Um, there's another question which is sort of close to my heart, but this is more so on your personal view on what developments do you see in the investment banking and fund management space in the world of Bitcoin and other digital assets? Uh, <laughs> it's very, we get asked this quite often. We even get asked whether we're going to hold cryptocurrencies on our platform. And um, I think it depends on who you speak to. So some people see, you know, it revolutionizing the world and others see it as just being and an, an yet another third party asset that people can select and manage their risk on. Um, I, I think there'll be more regulation, tighter scrutiny, especially around the AML KYC because that's of a, a great concern currently um, and, you know, almost the misuse of those type of cryptocurrencies. Um, however, it's, it would be quite interesting for me to even see a style of crypto custodian in terms of, um, you know, a bank or institution, not a conventional bank, offering a holding for um, all of these type of cryptocurrencies with the relevant protections of, you know, capital. So if there are any failures, ultimately clients are protected because I I think that eventually there will be some and that will shake, uh, you know, investors belief in, in those type of currencies and then it'll come back again. So, yeah, I, I think they'll stay as a third party asset on very select platforms because those platforms have to adhere to their own regulatory and risk parameters. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I don't think that reality is too far away. I mean, mm -hmm. if if especially if the big wigs in the world, Elon Musk and all, continue to tweet the yeah. way they do, I don't think that reality is far away at all. Um, but I mean, have you seen any changes in the way investors have been approaching the fintech market in the last few months? Yeah, I think we've seen the report which show that there's increasing investment um, into fintech. And I think that's partly as a result of what's happened during COVID, where perhaps even the wealth tech sector, the wealth sector has been a little bit behind um, even fintech in ensuring that they are fully digital. And they are now looking to ensure that everything that they offer is fully digital, that it always has that option. Um, and especially with the whole intergenerational wealth shift, which is currently going on in both the US as well as here um, in the UK, Europe, Asia, and the next generation solutions cannot be as white glove as they have been historically. So again, uh, it, fintech investors are, are seeing that kind of activity. That's the one area. The other area which I think we should look at quite closely is how much of those funds are going into later stage startups you know, um, startups who, you know, are like a Starling or Revolut versus very early stage and where that appetite of risk has shifted in terms of the value of investment. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think the intergenerational wealth shift point uh, will yeah. definitely continue as a trend. Yeah. We have also seen that. So I echo your sentiment on that. But um, but yeah, interesting predictions and, and uh, hopefully most of them will come true. Yes. <laughs> yes, we should talk again in a year. <laughs>
Definitely. <laughs> what I'd really like to see is some changes to um, on a like a much more political agenda, which I know we started with is, you know, there's something like 112 countries that don't have laws to ensure equal pay for equal work amongst men and women. Like crazy, you know, 18 countries where men can still prohibit their wives from working, 17 countries that limit women, how women can travel outside their home. In a year, I would like to see whether that has changed or whether the world as a whole is moving more right and more conservative again. So um, I, because all of that bleeds down into how women, minorities are treated within a financial services system. And we can't think that we exist um, without with, without the lens of politics. Yeah, I agree. Without the lens of politics is is something I will remember, but again, remains to be seen. Well, thanks, Felicia, and thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope you enjoyed our discussion with Felicia from Econi. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great. If you want any further details around this topic or on any of the points we have discussed specifically in this podcast, then you can contact me at the details linked below. We also frequently publish thought leadership in this area. Alternatively, you can visit our FinTech webpage and Twitter page, which is linked below. Thanks for listening and take care.